Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter at Cleveland.com, Mr. Chris Fedor, and we are getting closer to the official start of the offseason as the uh, Eastern and Western Conference playoffs, or excuse me, finals are beginning. Um, Chris, the Cavaliers, a little bit of news I want to start with. Um, they are losing one of their top assistants, Antonio Lang. He is going to the Atlanta Hawks to reunite with, with Quinn Snyder. Um, what was the reasoning behind that move, and how much does that affect the Cavaliers, you know, in the uh, in the scheme of things. Yeah, I mean, it has it. In fact, obviously, he's the guy who's been grooming um, Jared Allen into an all-star. It's interesting, Hayden, because, you know, on the coaching staff, the Cavs have a ton of coaches. Um, and on the coaching staff, you know, a couple of the different coaches have a few different guys that they've been overseeing the development of. You know, J.J. Outlaw works with, Darius Garland and he's been working with Darius Garland for a number of years and now he's been working with Donovan Mitchell and for Jared Allen that coach has been Antonio Lang. Antonio Lang played in the NBA he played at Duke he was roommates with Grant Hill Um, him and Grant Hill have a great relationship and that's part of the reason why Team USA is trying to get Jared Allen to play for them um, this summer and maybe even beyond um, and Antonio Lang obviously had a productive career as a player, as a big man in the NBA. So he's been helping Jarrett develop into the all-star caliber player that he is. So anytime you lose a guy who has that kind of relationship with Jarrett, um, he has done a great job developing Jarrett. Um, it's a big deal. And obviously it's a front of the bench guy. It's somebody that J.D. Biggerstaff trusted. But the way that it was phrased to me is that Antonio Lang got an offer from the Atlanta Hawks and Quinn Snyder, a relationship that he has with Quinn going back a number of years. And it's the kind of offer that he simply could not say no to, especially at this point in time, um, when there's a little bit of uncertainty about the Cavs going into this offseason. And there's um, a lot more stability, I would say, with Quinn Snyder than there is with J.B. Bickerstaff, given the fact that Quinn Snyder just got the job in Atlanta and they fired a coach in order to get him and they give him a whole lot of power within the organization. So I think there's just like a little bit more security and stability with the Atlanta situation than the Cleveland situation. So given his relationship, given the role that he's going to have and given that stability, I think it was going to be hard for him to turn that one down. Do you think they'll go external with, you know, potentially his replacement or will they look internally? I don't know that they're going to hire anybody, to be perfectly honest with you, because it's interesting, Hayden, because if you think back to this past year, um, when they brought in Luke Walton, there was some rejiggering that needed to happen um, in terms of the coaching staff. And there was like shuffling of roles that needed to happen and responsibility. And 
you know, people that aren't in the NBA don't understand this as well. But when you're in the NBA, you're either a front of the bench coach or you're a back of the bench coach. And there are only so many front of the bench opportunities. Um, And when the Cavs brought on Luke Walton, they had to take somebody from their front of their bench because they only had so many spots and move them to the back of the bench. And obviously, you know, there wasn't any kind of complication and there wasn't any kind of situation where that person was upset about the role or anything along those lines. But with Antonio Lang going, now there's a front of the bench spot open and somebody can just vacate that. Or now that it's vacated, somebody can just fill that vacated spot. Um, And I would expect the Cavs to just take somebody and give them a little bit more responsibility. Unless, of course, JB goes to the front office and says, hey, look, like I need somebody else. I need an offensive coordinator, or I need somebody who's got a little bit more experience, or I need somebody who's going to allow me to take um, a little bit less or allow Luke Walton to take a little bit less or allow J.J. Outlaw to take a little bit less. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they have options internally of guys that can fill the role. There's no doubt about it. Dan Jarreau has been working with big guys since he came to the NBA. And obviously he's part of the Cavs coaching staff and he worked with Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson in the past. So there are guys to do that. But if JB says, Hey, look, there's somebody out here that's available as an assistant that would really benefit us. Like, I don't think Kobe or Dan Gilbert is going to say, no, you can't bring this guy aboard but there were already some like shuffling that needed to happen regardless um, this off season when it came to just the responsibilities of, of each individual coach and this kind of clears that up a little bit. So as the off season kind of uh, hurdles forward here, um, let's talk about, uh, let's get into kind of what needs to happen for the Cavs, what's going to happen for the Cavs moving forward. Um, where they're at right now, you know, potential, are are they going to think about trading people? Are they going to think about completely changing this roster? I mean, where are the Cavaliers at? And, and you know, as we get closer to the offseason, what is their plan um, as they move forward here? Where do you think they should be? Because I remember you and I talking shortly after the Cavs lost in the playoff series against the Knicks. And... You know, there were a lot of emotions tied to that, and it felt like it was a missed opportunity for the Cavs. And the Knicks are a flawed team, and they showed that against the Miami Heat, and the Cavs couldn't capitalize on that. So where are you at when it comes to this, at this point in time, now that you've had some time to, like, let everything come together in your own mind? Yeah, I, I that's a great question. I mean, I I certainly have, I still have some of the same questions about um, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. Do they fit? Is that necessary? Um, I still have questions where are they going to find their three? Um, They need to obviously upgrade the bench in a big, big way. And, um, you know, where are they going to find this kind of physicality that they obviously need if they're going to compete in the postseason? So, those are also questions I have. Um, I don't know exactly otherwise where I'm at. You know, I'm not like, I don't think I'm like, they need to trade this person or this person. But I think if opportunities, I think if opportunities presented themselves or, you know, um, that you could probably make a move or two. Um, 
So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. It's kind of a weird spot right now. Um, I don't know if it's going to be enough to just bring in a wing and say, okay, we're going to run it back with the wing and then, you know, and then upgrade the bench. Is that enough? Maybe. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, you know, a lot of people will point to Jarrett as the piece of the core four that is considered the most expendable. And he's the one that has drawn the ire of a lot of fans based on the playoff series that he had against the Knicks. And he wasn't good enough. And he knows he wasn't good enough. But, like, I continue to sit here and wonder as this offseason is just getting started, really, for the Cavs. Is there a danger in trying to fill one hole and also then creating another one by doing that? You know what I'm saying? Like, are you just reshuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic? Or are you actually finding a viable solution? So, like, when you're the Cavs and you're a team that is in its process that it's in right now, where it's emerging from a rebuild and is about getting to the playoffs and winning a playoff series, it's a lot easier to find, like, the ancillary pieces that fit and complement the core that you already have in place. Now, I think it's fair to say, because you have Evan Mobley as well, that Jarrett is probably, like, the last piece of that core, you know, because you have somebody who can do, theoretically, do some of the same things that you like Jarrett to do. But, like, are you in a situation, and this is where I keep coming to, are you in a situation where it's time to give this core another run at it, coming off all of the playoff experience that they gained, taking those lessons and being better because of them? Or are you better off saying, hey, like our best path to filling our greatest need is by breaking up our core a little bit and then moving forward that way? And for me, I just think there's too much risk involved in terms of trading Jared Allen. And I would say to the people, and look, there are legitimate concerns about whether two non-spacing, non-shooting bigs can consistently function together, especially if your starting small forward is going to be Isaac Okoro. Um, And I'm not saying that it's going to be, but that's what it was last when we saw the Cavs. Or if your starting forward is going to be Karis LeVert, who is not really a floor spacer, knockdown, catch and shoot kind of guy. He's more of a slasher, attack off the bounce type. So there are legitimate questions about that. But I think the Cavs owe it to themselves to see if Evan Mobley can progress and develop and evolve his offensive game into being more of a perimeter threat, more of a shooter, more of a spacer more of somebody who can attack the defense that kind of way first. I think they need to see, can he do that first before saying, well, the Jared Allen, Evan Mobley thing didn't work in one playoff series against one specific team who had one set of uh, strengths and our weaknesses and da 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 And that particular matchup, it didn't work, so we need to break it up. I think that's overreacting to what happened in the Knicks series. Sure. Uh, I, I, think I think reacting I think reacting accordingly is giving this this duo that has been very, very successful together, Jared and Evan, in many ways successful together, and a big reason why the Cavs had 
the second best defense in the playoffs, I think it's giving them another opportunity together to see if they can fix their own flaws. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good way to go about it as well. But also, I would say if you, I mean, the, Kobe has been opportunistic, so if something comes up where you know you could get a piece that could really help, and maybe it does take Jared Allen, I think that wouldn't be off the table either, though. Yeah, but the only thing that I would say to that, Hayden, is everybody knows in the NBA, and look, everybody's going to value players in a different kind of way. But if we're just looking at the general value of specific players in the NBA, the value of somebody like Jared Allen compared to somebody that that fills their greatest hole, which is the small forward spot, a two-way wing, somebody who can knock down shots and defend his own position, a three and D type. Like, that is the most valuable commodity in the NBA. Yeah. And it has been for a number of years. And it's going to continue to be for a number of years. Yeah. So this idea that the Cavs could take what is probably the least valuable commodity in today's NBA, a big man like Jared Allen, who can't space, who can't knock down outside shots. And they're going to take that guy and they're going to parlay him somehow into, like, the missing piece of this team like an OG Ananobi type of player. And I only bring him up because, you know, he's been mentioned in trade rumors over the last year and a half, basically. And who knows what Toronto is going to do because Toronto still doesn't even have a head coach and they have some decisions that they have to make with their roster internally. So I bring him up, but like you could put anybody in that conversation, Cam Johnson, Mikel Bridges, like that type of player, like using Jared Allen as the centerpiece to get that type of player. I just don't think that that's viable. I don't think that's realistic. The right. value just doesn't match up. Right, right. It makes sense in that regard. Um, so if we're talking about the the two-way wing that they're, you know, trying to bring in here, um, how are they going to do it? Are they going to, is it going to be middle-level exception? It seems like that's all that they can really do. No, I mean, sign the trade is a possibility here. And the Cavs believe that it's a strong possibility. And okay. if you think about it, um, going back a couple of years, that's how they got Lowry Markin. They were yeah. able to acquire him in a sign and trade, and they sent away Larry Nance Jr. So a sign and trade would obviously require the Cavs to send something away, and they would have to find something of value that a team would want. Um, so I think they're going to try and be players in the sign and trade market. So anybody that fits that criteria – that the Cavs believe and the NBA believes that is going to cost more than the 12.2 mid-level exception. I'll throw out some examples. Like Harrison Barnes is probably going to get more than the mid-level. Grant Williams of the Boston Celtics is a restricted free agent, and he's probably going to get more than the mid-level. Max Struess is probably going to get more than the mid-level. So like anybody who falls under that umbrella of, 15 million per year, 18 million per year, 20 million per year, more than the mid-level exception that the Cavs can't just sign outright. They're going to explore that and see if there are some components of this, of this team. Some, um, I think realistic trade options from this team, uh, that they could package together to try and make that salary close enough to go out and be a player in that kind of market. So like that would include Isaac Okoro. 
that would include Jetty Osman and his team-friendly deal um, that could, depending on the player, and this is on could, not saying will, that could include Jared Allen. Um, I think anybody that's not named Darius, Donovan, and Evan, like, are quote-unquote expendable in the eyes of the Cavs. And, of course, yeah. the expendable tag is not the same level of expendable for everybody. I think we right. all understand that. Right. You but mentioned like, – yeah, go what, ahead. What does Isaac Okoro, this young 22-year-old wing who has some more upside and maybe is not going to reach that potential given the role that he plays in Cleveland, like what's the view of him around the NBA? And then what does packaging him with Jetty Osman and his team-friendly contract to a team that wants salary relief and then maybe like future second-rounders, like what does that get you? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that makes it realistic that the Cavs could go and get Max Struess. I don't know if that makes it realistic that the Cavs could go and get Grant Williams from the Boston Celtics. I don't know if that means that the Cavs can go and get Harrison Barnes from the Sacramento Kings. But but I do know that like the players that they would covet the most this offseason are probably going to get more than the mid-level exception. And that would require a sign in trade. And that did not prevent them from getting Lowry Markin in a couple of years ago. So is that their best option? I mean, is that is that kind of like you said, is that their best option? It's the point where they're hoping that they wouldn't have to use the mid-level on a guy like that. Well, I mean, I think the mid-level exception, I think that's a great option to have. Um but but I think it depends on what the market is going to dictate these guys get. Because we yeah. talked about it, Hayden, and you know this. Um, two-way wings get paid in the NBA or don't even hit free agency. Right. Um, I just think Boston's in a unique situation where their salary cap situation is so bloated that they may not be able to pay Grant Williams. Right? Yeah. Especially when they're already paying um, a couple of other guys that occupy that same position. Um, and Grant Williams hasn't been able to track their consistent playoff rotation. Obviously, matchups dictate that, and maybe in this series against Miami, he's going to play a little bit more. We'll see. Um, but I just think Boston's going to have a hard time keeping him. And I think it's the same thing for Max Struess in, in Miami. He never put anything past the heat in terms of, like, salary cap tinkering because they've got some of the best front office people in the entire NBA. Mm-hmm. But they're paying a bunch of money already to Duncan Robinson. Um, they've got a lot of money committed into their main guys. And they may be so close to the luxury tax or into the luxury tax, depending on what else happens with their roster, that they may not be able to keep a guy that would make sense for them to keep. You know, sometimes teams get into those situations, Hayden, where they just like they like guys, but their salary cap situation dictates them going a different direction. Right. So um, I think both those players would make a whole bunch of sense for the Cavs. Um, I think there are other guys around the mid-level exception that would make sense for the Cavs as well. But, like, they may get more than the mid-level because of the skill set that they bring to the table. Two-way wings get paid in the NBA, um, especially in this kind of market where it's a relatively thin position. Um, there aren't a lot of big names available at that spot that are like needle moving type players. 
um, and there's just not a huge supply of them. So they're going to get gobbled up quickly. And the Cavs are going to be um, swimming in a pool that has a lot of other suitors in that same pool that wants the same players that, that they want. Like, they're not going to be the only team that wants Grant Williams. They're not going to be the only team that wants Max Struess. They're not going to be the only team that wants Dante DiVincenzo and Harrison Barnes and Kelly Oubre Jr. and throw out any two-way wing with Pulse that is considered an upgrade over what they have and could potentially start at the small forward spot. Like, there are a lot of teams that are going to want those kinds of guys. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, So if I gave you an option, right, I'm going to give you the option. Okay. Right, You're the Cavs, and you can have one of Grant Williams, Max Struess, Harrison Barnes, Dylan Brooks, Gary Trent Jr., And this doesn't mean that the Cavs can get all of them based on what they have, but these would be their logical targets. Um, Dante DiVincenzo, uh, Joe Ingles, those are the main ones. You can have one of them. Who do you think should be at the top of that target list? Like Cam Johnson is a complete and utter pipe dream that the Cavs would have to like disrupt a lot of their roster and there's no guarantee that they could even get him and he would have to get paid like 25 million plus per year or something like that so yeah like i don't even consider him a realistic option but of those guys that i mentioned who do you think should go at the top of that list well you're looking for shooting right you're looking for that's yeah. kind of that's kind of the bigger in in my opinion that's kind that of the bigger bigger need at that position yeah. So that to me got to be where it all starts. Yeah. So that to me points to like a guy like Dante DiVincenzo um, or a guy like Joe Ingles, because those are kind of your more traditional shooters, but they don't give you a lot of like, right. Yeah. Max Drews. Like they don't give you a lot of, a ton of athleticism, but then you could kind of supplement that with Isaac, you know, if you're not going to trade him. So that's kind of where my eye goes in that direction. Um, off the top of my head, what do you think of Dylan Brooks? Well, that's the one I was gonna I was gonna mention. I don't think he shoots well enough. Yeah, I don't either. I don't think he shoots well enough. You know, and all the other, you know, the other the other garbage side. I mean, yeah, that's you know, I, I actually think they could use some of that. You know, I mean, you talk about a junk, you know, the junkyard dog thing. I think Dylan Brooks is, you know, at least pretends to bring you some of that. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's good enough at anything. Um, I wouldn't. He would not be uh, somebody I would want to bring in, especially with this young core. And you know, they seem to have a really good locker room. Obviously, the Grizzlies um, don't want anything to do with him anymore. So, yeah, I would say yeah. I would. I would look in the direction of. I mean, I have to pick one. Yeah, yeah, because um, that's the situation that they're in. Yeah, they get one mid-level exception, or they could split the mid-level among two players. But how many like quality six million dollar players are out there in yeah. in this market? You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah, they've got like one shot if they want to use the full mid-level exception on somebody, or they've got one shot in terms of a sign and trade because they don't have a ton of tradable assets. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah, I mean they're they're essentially in a situation where they do kind of have to pick one. 
So Harrison Barnes shoots 37% for three point. Struess is right around there as well, 37%. Yeah. Hmm, this is a tough one. This is a really tough one. Um, DiVincenzo's at 39%. I'd probably go Harrison Barnes. I, I think I, I like his I like his size. I like his pedigree. I like his um, – he can shoot it. Yeah, I, I'd probably go Harrison Barnes in that scenario. He's also got playoff experience. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so so let's say they add Harrison Barnes to this roster. Let's take yeah. this a step further. How does that change your view in terms of them being competitive in the Eastern Conference moving forward? Um, well, I think they'd be competitive without him. I think they'd just become more competitive and they'd have, I still think that the bench is, is the bigger issue. Um, because I think that, yeah, that makes them better. You know, they won 50 games. I mean, they weren't a slouch. They were a four seed. They were competitive. Obviously they just got beat in a, they they weren't ready for what New York was going to throw at them. So I guess I would say that it makes them, I think it makes them better because Harrison does have. Like you said, has that postseason experience has been there? He's not going to shy away from the moment. Uh, but I still yeah. think the bench is. A, I still think the bench is a much bigger issue. You know, JB, you know, tried as he made to kind of put put something together that would work, and it just didn't because they didn't have anybody off the bench. So I would say the bench is actually more of my concern than the starting lineup, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I understand where you're coming from on that. I just think like stylistically, the way that this team is built. They're going to rely heavily on their starting five or some kind yes. of combination of that, right? And the goal for them has to be make things easier offensively for Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell first and foremost. Yeah, Give them more space. Give them more shooters on the perimeter. So, like, that's the thing. In what planet was the Cavs defense not good enough this year? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, here's somebody no. out there that is sitting there focusing on, well, they got to get better defensively or no, they got to get no. tougher. No, no, no. They scored 94 points. Yeah. 94 points on average in the five games against the New York Knicks. Yeah. Like, on what planet is that good enough in a playoff series? It's They're not. 14th, no. Hayden, in yeah. three point makes and three point attempts. And they were 12th in three-point percentage of the 16 teams in the playoffs. And, yeah. yeah, you can sit there and say, well, Donovan Mitchell didn't shoot the ball well. And Darius Garland didn't shoot the ball well. And Jetty Osman didn't shoot the ball well. And if those guys would have shot better or similar to the way that they did in the regular season, then maybe things would have been different. Okay, sure. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. No doubt about it. But, like, this team is not good enough as currently constructed offensively. So this idea of Dylan Brooks is just stupid to me. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Like, that is a guy that in the seven-game series against the Los Angeles Lakers, the Lakers were treating him like Isaac Okoro. Yeah. They're just ignoring him. They're like, you can't shoot. No chance. We're not even going to guard you. Yeah. It's a career 34% three-point shooter. Yeah. who over the last couple of years has dipped down to 30 to 31%. So that, like, makes no sense to me. And Kelly yeah. Oubre Jr., I think that's interesting, but, like, there are some things that you have to worry about with him off the court. And of the eight seasons that he's played in the NBA, 
he has shot the ball from three-point range better than 34% just three times. That's not a lot. No. Um, so, like, it is time for, like, fans to start focusing, to me, on the real issues with this basketball team. Office. And, like, <laughs> they need shooting. They need spacing. They yep. need offense. Like, Dylan Brooks doesn't help them win that series against the New York Knicks. Like, Dylan Brooks doesn't fix the biggest problem that this team has. Like, yeah, nope. you're tougher. Yeah, he's physical. Yeah, he's second team all defense. He's Isaac Okoro. Yeah, he is. Like, that's basically the kind of skill set that he brings to the table. You don't need another Isaac Okoro. You need somebody who's going to bring something different than what you already have on your roster. Brent Williams is different than anybody on this roster, right? Max Struess is the kind of player that the Cavs do not have on this roster. Dante DiVincenzo is different than the kind of player that the Cavs already have on this roster. Like, that's where their focus needs to go. Right. Dylan right. Brooks. You lose me yeah. with Dylan Brooks. Oh, yeah. I, I'm completely with you. I, again, he doesn't shoot well enough. So, um, yeah. Don't and that me. goes beyond the fact that, you know, he smacked the best player in this organization in the nuts. And that yeah. goes beyond the fact that it doesn't seem like his teammates like him all that much. And that goes beyond right. the fact that, like, he's a pain in the butt to deal with on a day-to-day right. basis. Yep. Couldn't be more right about that. Could not be more right about that. It just, yeah, I, I don't like that fit at all. Um, there were some interesting things I saw. I liked on, I think, obviously, I think Dante is great. I think um, Harrison Barnes would be great. I saw, like, some backup options, like um, Jonas Valanciunas as, like, a backup kind of got stretch stretch five that could help you out in a different way. Like, uh, there were just some, there were some interesting things. I forget where I saw them at, but, um, yeah. but I just, I think the bench is a huge, huge issue that needs to be fixed pretty quickly. Um, and maybe that's where the mid-level exception comes into play. I don't know. But, I mean, yeah. right now, your, your three bench guys that I can think of off the top of my head that are helping you are Karis, um, Jetty, and um, Isaac. Ricky. And, and and Ricky. But, yeah, well, hopefully Ricky comes in and has a better year three because last year – Right. You wrote, you wrote about that, didn't you? Yes, I did. So what were and, your takeaways? You know, History will tell you, Hayden, that a guy, the second year removed from the ACL, is going to be more like himself. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> this is a different guy that we're talking about here, right? This is a guy who's been playing professional basketball since he was a teenager. Yeah. This is a guy who's 33 years old, multiple ACL um, tears on the same knee, uh, questionable outside shot to begin with. Clearly, his quickness has been zapped a little bit, both by injury and by his age. So I think it's understandable that the Cavs are banking more on Ricky um, being better than what he was this past year, because this past year was a disaster, offensively and defensively. So I understand why they're pointing to history, and I think there's some truth to that. But this is a different kind of player. Um, and on top of that, I think part of the reason why they're saying, hey, like, we're banking more on Ricky being closer to the guy that he was um, 
when he got off to that great start and he was in the sixth man of the year conversation before tearing the ACL, Hayden, it's because they don't have a lot of resources this offseason. Nope. And there are only so many things that they can fix in one offseason. That's true. There are only so many holes that they can patch in one offseason. So it's like if they went out this past offseason and they gave Ricky a multi-year deal because they thought he was going to be able to help them uh, not so much this past year, but this year coming up, like I don't think they can allow themselves to say, well, he was such a disaster coming off a torn ACL for a variety of reasons in the role that we used him in. Like, because we saw that this past year, everything that we thought when we chose to sign him, that goes out the window and we've got to find somebody else. No, like, your mid-level exception has to be earmarked towards that two-way wing. And if you're going to take a chunk of that to sign somebody because you made a mistake signing Ricky, like, that's bad business. You know what I mean? Right. Especially when there are reasons to believe that I don't know at what level he's going to be better, but there are reasons to believe that he's going to be better than the version that the Cavs saw this past year. So I think that has to go a little bit lower down the list. Like if we're talking about the assets that the Cavs have and the resources that they have this off season to patch the holes, like backup point guard needs to go far down that list. And I think backup center needs to go far down that list as well. Or if you want to phrase it as third big, that needs to go far down that list as well. Because I just don't think the Cavs are going to get the kind of on-court value um, from those kinds of players. You know, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley are going to play a bulk of the big minutes, and Evan Mobley is technically the backup five on this team. Yeah. So if you go out and you sign, like, I don't know, Mason Plumley or Christian Wood or – any one of the centers that you think would be more playable than what Robin Lopez was this past year, then you're allocating some kind of financial resources to get those guys here. Right. Right. Because if you're doing a top 10 list of the centers available in free agency, like the guys that you think are going to give you more than what Robin Lopez did are going to be in that top 10 and they're going to cost something. Nas Reed, another name. So, like, does it make sense for this team that relies so heavily on Jared Allen and Evan Mobley to spend money in free agency um, on that position? I don't think so. Does it make sense for the Cavs to go out and spend money in free agency on a backup point guard when they just brought in Ricky Rubio last offseason? I don't think so. Obviously, those are weak points. But, like, you can only allocate so much to those, to fixing those. Right. So, obviously, the first thing is two-way wing. What's number two? Uh, shooter. Like, it's not even a position. You know what I mean? Shooting. To yeah. me, it's a skill set. You just have to find shooters. Whether they yeah. play the four, the five, the three, the two, it doesn't matter. You just need dudes who can shoot. Yeah. Well, Ricky Rubio is not going to necessarily bring you that. Jetty is so... No, he's not. You're right about that. Jetty is so hit or miss with that. Karras, yes. Shooter, Isaac Coro, no. So, 
I mean, it's like, like I Lamar, said, no. Lavar, no, or Lamar, no. Um, so, so you add maybe two bench shooters in addition to what you have or what you add in the starting lineup. Yeah, I mean, the idea is that Karras is probably going to come back. Yeah, because they don't really have the means to go out and replace him. Right. So. You use your full mid-level exception. To me, my plan would be use the full mid-level exception or sign-and-trade, find the two-way wing that can be the fifth starter, and then whatever else you have left over, whether it's part of the mid-level exception or the biannual, or if you have some other expendable trade pieces. I mean, a name that I've heard brought up is Torian Prince, right? Okay. So... If you could use your bottom of the roster rotation pieces that have team friendly salaries to help the Minnesota Timberwolves with their salary cap situation to go get Torian Prince, okay, then that's a logical decision for the Cavs to make. So that's the way that I would view it is two way wing with the mid level or a sign in trade. And then whatever you have left over, the pieces that you don't trade away in the sign in trade or the money that you don't spend with the mid-level, or if you want to use the biannual, go and fix the eighth spot on the bench or the ninth spot on the bench that way. Torian Prince, former Cavalier. (laughs) (laughs) Who brought them Ricky Rubio. That's right. That's right. So he could be... They do uh, not have have Ricky Rubio without him. No. They also don't have Karis LeVert without him, if you think about the domino effect of all of that. So there you go. They could have all of them if they bring him in. They could have Karis, Ricky, and Torian again. We'll see how that yep. goes. Um, all right. Well, we got plenty of time in the offseason. It's it's coming forward. And uh, like we said, those those are the kind of that's kind of where they're at in terms of what they're looking for. And we'll see how it all pans out. Yeah. I think Kobe, I think weirdly, I think Kobe has a has a has a knack for making trade or making things happen that necessarily weren't thought about, you know. I mean, maybe with the yeah. Laurie Markin thing, it was like, okay, that really wasn't expected. And then, obviously, with the Donovan Mitchell thing, that wasn't necessarily expected either. So, Kobe always has some sort of trick up his sleeve. The other so thing to consider when you're talking so about bench, too. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this is an aggressive, opportunistic front office. They're going to continue to operate that way this offseason. Um, but at the same time, I don't think they're going to overreact to what happened against the Knicks in a playoff series, despite the yeah. fact that um, the Knicks beat them badly. And it was a non-competitive series, and the Cavs led for 49 total minutes in the five games. Um, the other thing to consider, though, Hayden, about the bench is you know this coach, J.B. Vickerstaff, does not go deep into his bench, no. right? He has spoken numerous times about being most comfortable with a nine or 10 man rotation. Now you can sit there and you can say that's dumb. That's wrong. He's got to expand it, but he's the coach and he's got to play to his own comfort. And if you know that he's most comfortable playing nine or 10, and that's just the way that he is and you're committed to him, then you really don't need to beef up the bench that much right in terms of adding bodies to the bench that's something to consider and if you get into a seven game series whether it's against the Knicks next year or the Atlanta Hawks next year or the Miami Heat whatever it may be 
JB's probably going to play eight or nine in that first round playoff series. Right. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you got to find depth and you got to find more playable pieces so that you don't run your guys into the ground in the regular season. And that's true. But you also have to be cognizant of the way that your coach operates. That's true, too. That's true, too. Well, I have something I want to get into maybe next podcast. Um, okay. We'll let it ride here, though, about JB. Um, it'll it'll be a good teaser for the next episode in the next <laughs> week or so. Um, because I just don't I don't think this is the right podcast to do it on. Um, but we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll we'll certainly do it. Yeah. Um. In the meantime, I mean, there's a deeper discussion that needs to happen when it comes yeah. to JB. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into that. Um. In the meantime, what are your uh what are your Eastern Conference real quick Eastern Conference or Western Conference finals picks? Um. Boston in the East, and so it's hard for me to go against LeBron. And yeah there is a chance that Anthony Davis playing at this level that he's playing at right now for the Lakers can be the most impactful player in this series coming up against Denver. Mm-hmm. But I think Denver is a more complete team. And I've believed that throughout the course of this year, like history would tell you that a team like the Nuggets doesn't beat a LeBron led team with his star power that he has, especially with Anthony yeah. Davis playing at this level that he's playing at. Yeah, there's just something about Denver that I believe in and something about Denver that I like. And I know better than to pick against LeBron in the seven game series. And he has made me look a fool multiple times, but I'm doing it again. I'm picking Denver. Wow. All right. Well, we'll see if he makes you look a fool again. Yeah. I mean, this version of LeBron is not the version of LeBron that has made me look like. We can admit that. Yeah. Um, and Jokic is just magnificent. And I think if if anybody is going to find a way um, to combat the impact that Anthony Davis has had for the Lakers um, and neutralize him enough, I think it's somebody like Jokic who has his fingerprints all over every single outcome, every single possession that, that the Nuggets have um, in a playoff series. Like he's the kind of guy that can shift a series all by himself. All right. All right. I mean, you said it. Don't don't bet against LeBron, but you know, I'm I'm, I'm I'm doing the yeah, I'm I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pick the Lakers and I would rather make I would rather make Jokic make me look stupid than LeBron. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm going to take the Lakers um, in a very, very okay. close series. I could totally see Denver winning. I'm not saying that there's that, but I'd rather just. Make I'd rather pick LeBron and and let Jokic beat me than pick Jokic and let LeBron beat me. <laughs> um, and I'm and I'm gonna go with Boston. I think they have too much uh, firepower for uh, Miami, but we'll see. It'll be interesting. A, a Lakers Celtics yeah. Finals would be an NBA ratings dream, would it not? For all, it would. It would be for, for a million reasons. Yeah. 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 Um, for a m- million reasons. For all the things that people have talked about in terms of Miami, and they deserve a lot of credit for being in the conference finals, and Spo is magnificent. He is the best oh. coach in the NBA. In terms of like strategy and X's and O's, I think he's going to be able to coach circles around Joe Missoula, um, who just does not have the same level of playoff experience that Spo does. Right. But but like, <laughs> has there been an easier road? 
I mean, there has obviously, but there aren't too many easier roads than the one that, you know, the Miami Heat took in order to get to the conference finals. Milwaukee lost Giannis in the first game of that series, and he just was not himself once he finally came back after missing multiple games, by the way. So if you're going to yeah. play against the Bucks in a seven-game series, you want it to be when Giannis is missing multiple games in that seven-game series. Right, right. Like, and then in the second round, you play against the Knicks, who are basically like Jalen Brunson on offense and then not a whole lot else. Right. Yeah, I mean, an easy road is an easy road, but, I mean, as an eight seed, it is what it is, you know? Yeah, but that's got to be the easiest path that an eight seed ever had to travel. Like, that well, version of Milwaukee with Giannis Hurt and then the Knicks in round two. Yeah, well, I guess we'll see. That's I mean, I mean, if they beat the Celtics, then how easy was it? You yeah, know? it's very different. It's a very different conversation if they beat the Celtics. Absolutely right. right. If they somehow beat the Celtics, then, not, then we are certainly not talking about how easy of a road it was. No. So we'll see. No, You're we're right. Not. I mean, thus far it has, thus far it has been. right now, that's part of the reason why I'm picking the Celtics. Yeah. I just think they've been tested more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think they're a better, I think they're a better team for sure. All right. Um, appreciate you joining, Chris. Thanks, for everybody, for listening. We will talk to you guys soon. Uh, be sure to check out Chris's subtext, three ninety nine dollars a month, 14-day free trial. You can actually just look at uh, the story that this is going to be posted on, and we will have information for Chris's subtext there. Or you can go to cleveland.com slash Cavs, click the blue banner at the top of the page, and you will uh, have directions to be able to put in your phone number, and you will be sent all kinds of great stuff from Chris. Analysis, insight, news sent straight to your phone before anywhere else. So appreciate you joining us again. Chris, we will talk again soon. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day. Enjoy the rest of this or enjoy the uh, start of the Western Conference Finals tonight and the Eastern Conference Finals thereafter. Um, And we will talk to you soon. Take care.